So, good to have you back. Here we are in Mark chapter 12. If you don't have your Bibles there yet, please have them to Mark chapter 12. This is the final teachings for Jesus in the temple. It's the final teachings in Jerusalem. That's how far we've come in looking at the life of Jesus, that this is ultimately the grand finale. Chapter 13, he will stand opposite the temple and teach his disciples. And chapter 14 will now then unfold the betrayal uh, of Jesus and we'll spend the final uh, month in this book uh, looking at those those final scenes. And think about this being the end as Mark records this gospel. I think it's important for us to consider then and highlight what are going to be the final things that Jesus is going to teach at the temple? What are the final things that he's going to teach the religious leaders and the people of Jerusalem, the final words, if you were going to leave your lasting mark and your final words for them before you now leave the city and the next time you're going to come in is on trial and under arrest, what would be your final statement? What does Jesus want to emphasize? What does he want them to see and to learn and to understand? And that's what we're going to notice in these final three paragraphs that we're going to begin in verse 35 today and pick up these three three paragraphs and look at what is Jesus wanting the people to see and what are they supposed to learn about who Jesus is, learn why they've rejected him and ultimately what Jesus is looking for in a follower of his. You'll notice in verse 35, it reads in Mark chapter 12, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put the enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Now, I think what is interesting as we look at this paragraph is you will notice that it is not Mark's intention to give an interpretation or explanation about this psalm. It is not his concern to say, now, here's what that all means and here's all that entails. You will notice the big point that Jesus gets at is to get the people to think deeply about a particular text. He quotes a passage and then he just simply asks a question. So how is he his son? (laughs) I want you to think about that text and I want you to think about it in more than a surface level, shallow kind of reading. I think there's something that we have seen as we've looked over these past few chapters as an explanation of why the religious leaders are rejecting Jesus. Why are people choosing not to follow? And we have noted in a couple of those that some just simply didn't really know the scriptures. We made the point. Well, they know the scriptures. It's not that they had never read them. It wasn't that they were ignorant of them, but they had not truly read them for understanding and they did not read them for insight. And the same is really true today is that one of the reasons why people do not understand Jesus and refuse to follow Jesus is ultimately a question of, have you really ever read what the scriptures actually say? I am often amazed how often people will think they know the scriptures, know the Bible, when actually all that they know is what other people have said about it. I heard somebody say such and such about that, and so therefore I know it. 
And that would be akin to you saying that you know everything about a movie because your friend told you about a few minutes of it. And you go, well, I know everything about that movie. Well, you actually know nothing about the movie. You know somebody's perspective about the movie, but you really don't know it for yourself. And I think that is an important concern that Jesus is bringing up where, again, Jesus now quotes Scripture and challenges them with the very Word of God. Have you read this for yourself and have you thought about it? Have you read this and considered what it means and then thought about in in a greater detail, in a greater depth, what that is all about? I have highlighted to you in a number of our lessons, particularly in what we are doing on Sunday night, in talking about looking at the Scriptures and seeing what God is trying to accomplish and seeing the big picture of who He is. That all of the Word of God is a revelation of Himself. We would never read the Scriptures in such a way as if we were still in preschool and we were taking it all as memorization that you know, Noah built an ark and you know Moses in the burning bush, Abraham had to offer his son Isaac, and therefore we know the Scriptures because we can tell all the major highlights. And sometimes we think we know God and we know what the Word of God says because we are able to repeat some general ideas about the Scriptures and really haven't read them for ourselves, and nor have we not read them, but really thought about them deeply. What an interesting thing that Jesus does here. We're taking a well-known quotation, a messianic text, the Lord said to my, my Lord, and, and then he just simply stops and says, have you thought about how he could have said that? How is it possible for David to speak of his son and call him Lord? And he just leaves it right there. You know, I love that Jesus does that a lot. Tells parables, gives a teaching, and then he just walks off and goes, okay, think about that one. Because that's what God wants. God wants us to take his word and think deeply, not just simply memorize facts or know certain things or certain steps or certain ideas or have certain doctrines, but to know him and to know his revealed word. And here he does that already in describing this picture to them and just simply says, I want you to think about that. And notice the reception of the people in verse 37. They heard him, heard him gladly in this. You know, they're going, wow, that is something to think about. Wow. Well, well said. Good question that you, that you put right there and that is something that we need to do i think it is so interesting that the scripture that we will know romans 10 17 how does faith come faith comes by hearing the word of christ and yet how often do people try to find faith in every other way but by hearing the word of christ But if you want faith, God is very plain. Here is how you're going to find faith. Here is how faith is created in the individual. It is listening to the Word of God. It is reading the Word of God. Letting the Word of God hit our hearts. It's not going to come about by any other exercise, any other gathering, any other practice or anything else. It is simply the Word of God that accomplishes it. 
And so it is a challenge that Jesus is leaving as he is going to leave Jerusalem and as he's going to leave the temple is to just simply tell them it's not about just knowing a passage like Psalm 110 or knowing some other place and saying, well, I've got that memorized and I know that. But do you really know it? Do you really appreciate it? Have you thought deeply about it and allowed then the word of God to create a faith in you, to let it change your life and change who you are? I think so often we miss that idea in reading the scriptures that when you read about the people, particularly in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, like the apostles. But when you read about these people, that the big idea isn't about the people, but the big idea is about the God who is able to work through those people. That you can see God take people who are idolaters and make them God fearing. You can see God taking outsiders and bringing them near. You can take people who are unsure and unstable and very fearful and nervous and make them strong in the Lord. You see those pictures given over and over again of here is a God who takes us in our frailty and in our weakness and in our difficulty and can change us, transform us and make us into what he wants us to be. But do we let the word of God do it? Do we allow the word of God to penetrate our hearts so that we would think deeply about the things that we read, that we would spend time in the word of God, give it its due attention to have a heart that desires to read it, a heart that wants to dig deeper and to understand what God is revealing. May we never have a heart or a, a mind that would say, you know, well, I already know this stuff. There's just nothing new here. I already know all those big ideas. I've already heard them so many times that we would always want to read it for ourselves and read it afresh. And, and my encouragement to you is also the same. That if all that you ever get of the word of God is what I tell you, that's terribly boring. As exciting as you might think this is, it's horribly boring. People telling you what something is about is terribly boring. It is far more interesting and exciting to engage it yourself. You don't want to listen to what the movie's all about. You want to go see the movie for yourself. And the same thing with the Word of God. It is not interesting just to come here and have somebody tell you about it. I'm all excited about it, but that's because I've been able to enjoy it. You enjoy it for yourself, and one of my goals is to hope that you will see how enjoyable it is so that you'll go do it yourself, not that you'll rely upon Sunday or anything like that. But to just see the beauty of the Scriptures and enjoy everything that God has to say. So be in awe of God. Be in awe of His Word. And dig deeper as here Jesus challenges them. They do not have a heart that wants to understand. They knew this Scripture very well. Well Well-known Scripture. Important prophecy out of the Psalms. And yet Jesus can simply say, So have you thought about what that meant? (laughs) Have you thought about where that goes? And how important that we do that with God's word. And now notice what he's doing because verse 38 says, and in his teaching, he said, so you just have to visualize here he is in the temple and he's just giving these final teachings before he leaves. And he's asking questions about scriptures. Here's what a scripture says. Have you thought about that? Have you dug into that? Does that mean something to you? Have you considered all that? Have you let that rest on your heart? And then he gives this teaching in verse 38. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes 
and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the best places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. What an interesting thing to say. Imagine him walking around in his teaching and he says, now here's what I want you to do. You really should watch out for those scribes, which would have been all over the temple complex. I mean, they would have been everywhere. Uh, here, they're the teachers of the law. They're the ones who write the law down and dispense the law and proclaim the law and teach the law. And he walks around saying, you better really watch out for those guys. You need to be really careful about those scribes. And here's why. They like to walk around in long robes and they like getting special greetings in the marketplaces. In fact, we read in the Talmud that they wrote down that someone who had a greater knowledge of the Torah than you was to be given a special greeting like master, father, or rabbi. So you'd place an honorific title upon them. If you knew that they knew more than you about the Torah, about the law, then you would have to honor them with a title. And that's what he's referring to here. And he says they like the greetings in the marketplaces. They like people go, oh yeah, you know more than me. Let me give you a special title. They have the best seats in the synagogue. What we think that's probably referring to is in the synagogue there were seats in the very front. Their congregational setup was somewhat similar to ours and they had special seats in the very front and the scribes like to sit up there because that's a place of position and look how important we are. Look, we know the law. We're the dispensers and the teachers of the law. Same thing when they would eat in verse 39 that they would seat in these places of of honor the end of verse 40, they make a pretense with their long prayers. So they're going to pray a really long time so they look really righteous. Everybody knows how pious and good he is. And I think it's really great that you just never see any of that today in the religious world. (laughs) It really makes you wonder for a minute have people read this paragraph. Walking around in special clothes so that people know who you are. That happens a lot in the religious world. That happens a lot. Wearing certain kinds of clothes so that that person can be identified. Well, he's somebody important. He's clearly a teacher of God or something like that. Here's Jesus condemning that and saying, watch out for those people who wear clothes to identify themselves as something special, something different. We should never do that. We should never try to identify ourselves as somebody different or stand out because, you know, where you're the shepherd or you're the deacon or you're the preacher or something like that. So I'm going to wear something different so it looks like that. You know, you all dress down and I'll be in the 14 piece suit so you all can know that I'm the preacher. That's not the point. It's not the point. It's nothing that we would draw attention to ourselves. Like the greetings in the marketplaces, the religious world is filled with titles. Calling somebody who is religious or religious teacher, putting a title in, in front of them. Interestingly enough, like teacher, rabbi, master, uh, father, all these things are what they were doing the first century. Jesus is condemning that. Which, by the way, I will say to you, I only have one title I go by, and that's Brent. There's no other, there's no other designation. Uh, you didn't call me anything else. Uh, notice that Jesus is laying that out and just saying, don't go around doing that. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. It's not about who you are or what you think you are. 
so that people would care about you or wanting special seats in the synagogue. You know, I've got a special place. You need to see where I'm sitting right here. See, that sets me apart. I'm different. It's shameful that that happens. A few months ago, I was getting my car worked on and I was in spending the time I had taken one of my wide margin Bibles and I was sitting there reading and I'm coloring and drawing and writing and doing all of that stuff. And there's a guy in the waiting room a few seats down who just made this announcement. He goes, that's what's wrong with the world is that not enough people are reading that book. And I looked at him like, is he talking about me or somebody reading Car and Driver? You know, like, who are you, who are you talking about? He was talking to me. And it led to a whole discussion. And one of the things that he said is, I can go to any church and I can tell you who the preacher is by the car they drive. And I thought, that's interesting. And I said, not mine, because my camera is getting worked on. <laughs> I said, you ought to come to where I'm at, because you're right. You shouldn't be going to places if that's the case. And he talked about how, oh yeah, everywhere I go, you can tell who the preacher's wife is, because it makes such a to-do about her. You can tell who the preacher is because of how he dresses, of the car he drives. I can walk in any parking lot, figure it all out. And I like trying to get him to breathe, you know, and I'm like... You ought to go somewhere that's not the case. That's the kind of thing Jesus was talking about. And here's somebody in the world who's just seen that and he just thinks God is dumb because he can see this and goes, how could it possibly be that people would think that's right? And he's right. Why would that be right? Here's somebody who's making it all about themselves. And this is what Jesus is identifying right here is don't do that. Don't make it about yourself. Don't draw attention to yourself. And what is so fascinating is he points out in verse 40, here they put on the show of piety and righteousness. Look who I am wearing the special clothes. I've got the special title. I do the long prayers. I look at like the part, but what do I do in the meantime? Being at verse 40, exploit others in the process how true how absolutely deplorable and true that is that in the process of looking right how many people are taking money harming others oppressing them telling them false things how interesting that jesus is walking around the temple saying you better watch out for those scribes because that's what they're doing Oh, I feel like Jesus would walk around in our culture today and say, you ought to watch out for those teachers who do this kind of stuff because it's all about them. They're making it all about the show. They're making it all about themselves. And notice in verse 40, he says, they're going to receive the greater condemnation. Drawing attention to ourselves is what draws the greater condemnation. The reason that we do things so that others will see us So that others will pay attention to us. Others would pat us on the back, praise us, give us titles, elevate us, esteem us in some kind of way. Here's Jesus going, I'm going to be condemned for that. Trying to gain the honor of other people through self-righteousness. The look at me and look at all my righteous acts and look at who I am. And I know more than you know. And I know stuff about the Bible and you should listen to me. Jesus goes, you'd be condemned for that. you absolutely be condemned for that. 
Drawing our attention to ourselves receives condemnation. But I would state it like this. Wanting the praise and attention of others is spiritual disaster. We should care about what God thinks. That should be what matters most. It's not about what everybody else is going to elevate us, but that God would care about the things that we do. That we do our good works not to be seen by people, or we dress not to be seen by people, or say or do things to be seen by people, but by God. That's why we do what we do and say what we say and make the choices that we make, because we care about what God thinks. That's the only owner we care about. It's not about trying to get other people to think highly of ourselves. And may we be so cautioned by that. We're in a world right now that just esteems people that way. And we have to just be completely on guard against that and completely reject that kind of thinking. We are all equals together. There is no elevation here in this room except somebody made the podium, you know, seven inches tall. Other than that, we're all right now on the same plane. It's all equal together. It's not about anything else but our service before God. We don't elevate anybody. And I think it's so interesting that Jesus just highlights that people who make this about themselves, who wear things in such a way, say things in such a way, or do things in such a way to draw honor to themselves under the guise of being religious, spiritual. He says, watch out for them. They'll receive a greater condemnation. And then how much worse under the guise of spirituality are actually harming people in the process. Actually hurting them along the way rather than helping as we ought to help. Notice how that leads into what he does now. Verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. You ever just stop and watch people sometimes? Probably the more entertaining thing you can do in life is sometimes watch what people are doing. Sometimes it's very eyebrow raising. And I think it is interesting as the final scene that Mark records is it says after he's going around teaching and he's telling, now watch out for those scribes. And are you thinking about the scriptures? Don't just quote them to me, but what does it mean? Have a deeper understanding. So he's just walking around the temple. Watch out for those scribes. You know, they're out for themselves. Be careful. And then he just takes a seat. And he just starts watching the people as they're putting their money into the money box. And it says there in verse 41, Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. Let's talk about that for a minute. It says that she puts in two small copper coins. Now, a lot of our translations will say, which makes a penny. I understand the reason why it's trying to say that. Because the two small copper coins in that day and time were the smallest unit of money that existed. So our smallest unit of money right now is a penny. And so that's what it's trying to do. But don't think of it as saying she put in two pennies. If we try to do these calculations when it comes to money from first century times to now helps try to get an understanding of what's going on. And that was about a one sixty fourth of a day's wage back then, somewhere between one sixty fourth and one twenty eighth of a one day's wage. So that would amount to about six to eight minutes, maybe 12 minutes of work at most somewhere in there. So you're talking about her putting in about in our terms, a dollar fifty. 
Okay, so here are all of these people who were coming up and they had their treasury boxes and they would give. And you'll notice he's observing that here's a lot of people and they're putting in these large sums of money. Just imagine in our currency, hundreds, I don't know, maybe thousands, whatever it is. And then this poor widow comes up and she drops a dollar fifty in. Verse 43. He called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And notice that's the end of Jesus' teaching in Jerusalem. That's the end of his public ministry now, is ending on that note. So interesting that the praise that he gives her seems to be twofold. One, he praises her for not giving out of abundance. The others just gave out of all the excess they have. They apparently are wealthy. And so, yes, they're giving large sums, but it's not really anything important to them. It's your leftovers. It's your excess. And here is this poor widow, and you will notice that he describes it as she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. Now, I can't imagine that if we ever had the collection and we found a dollar fifty in there, we would go, man, who was the person who gave a dollar fifty? That is amazing. Woo! You know, you'd imagine the disciples when he first says, hey, hey, guys, look at that widow. She just put in two small coins and then be like, yeah, <laughs> okay. Did you not see everybody else who was giving a whole lot more? Why are you drawing our attention to this poor widow who is only putting in two coins? And the point is that she's giving not for the show, but out of her devotion to God. It's not about the excess or about the show. It's about her heart being moved to give what she gave. And the picture is, here is a woman who does not have much. And yet she gave what she was able to give. She gave it. Jesus describing it as all she had. What an interesting picture. Because that is what I think ultimately God is wanting. Is a true devotion a true devotion that gives from the heart think about how often the scriptures praise that kind of heart remember like in second corinthians chapter 8 where you see that the macedonian christians are praised because out of their extreme poverty they gave an overflowing amount with joy Here, they were in dire circumstances, but they were going to help these needy christians anyway even though they didn't have anything themselves And here's Paul going, that's the heart I'm talking about. You see that in the book of Acts, where you see these Christians and knowing of other Christians who had need are selling their possessions and selling their property to give to the other Christians who were hurting and those who were in need. You see it over and over again of God praising that kind of heart, that the desire to just give to God. I think that's such a precious thing. That Mark is ending on that this is the kind of heart that the heart is not about a quantity amount, 
but really an analysis of the heart that desires to give all that one can give. The heart that desires to give to God all that one can give. It's just a beautiful thing that you see in, in this woman who has a true devotion for God. I can't tell you really how many times I think I have heard stories or been a part of hearing people who basically under the guise of Christianity and spirituality and I think befitting of the context of what's going on here that Jesus is talking about, who also use money to try to have influence and demand their way. It's astounding to me. You would think that that could never happen among Christians to use your money and say, well, you know, I give a lot, so I ought to have an input. I give a lot, so I should have a say. And if you don't do the things that I want you to do and make decisions that I want you to make, well, you know, I can put my money somewhere else or I can pick up my marbles and leave and go some other place. I've heard stories of things like that. I think it's just stunning that it fits the same category of what Jesus is speaking about with the scribes of you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. We have to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do, even when it comes to giving? That there can even be the wrong motivation in giving. That we would never do anything for recognition or the show or for power or prestige or uh, anything like that. You know, if you give X amount of dollars, we'll engrave your name in a brick in the front yard out there. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? I'm always mystified by that. That just cracks me up to see that. And you go to places where they build these things and, you know, their human names are all over. And it's like, didn't you really kind of take away the whole out of the heart part when you had your name emblazoned all over the place on how you did that? (laughs) You seem to be missing the point. The giving to God is not about, hey, look at me, I gave to God. Hey, look how much I gave. So now that means I get to say, right, I get to have certain perks or certain influences. I think so often we would look at such a small amount like this woman and we would say, ah, how pointless. And yet it's everything. I know you've probably seen it. You know how precious it is when you watch like a little kid who like for their birthday got amount of money and then, you know, the basket goes by and then they go with their own money and you go, there you go. That's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Who cares that it was a quarter? It was such a beautiful thing. That's what Jesus is talking about right here is the beauty of a heart that just wants to give back to God and is not concerned about the amount because there's nothing impressive about what she does. But her giving was not about the show. Her giving was from the heart. It wasn't a reflection of necessity. You know, she could have said, this is all I have, you know, I'm sorry. But she wanted to give to God. That's all God has ever wanted is that kind of heart. A heart that is willing to give and to trust in God. I think as Jesus is ending this scene, I just think it's important for us as we think about the heart that Jesus is demanding in these paragraphs that we would really think about what is the basis by which we give? If we do give and if we don't give, if we don't give to God, why don't we? What is that saying about the heart? If we do give, what is the basis for it? What is in our heart about that? 
Because that's really what God cares about. It's not about the dollar amount or the lack thereof. It's about the heart that's behind it. The heart that is wanting to give to God is what God wants. That is the big deal to him. I think it is so important that we would recognize and why Jesus talks the most about wealth in his parables and in his teachings. And the reason he does that is because wealth is a great indicator of the heart. How you use money is very much a reflection of what you put your heart's desire in. It's a reflection of your treasure. It's a reflection of what matters most to you. It is for all of us. What you put your money in reflects in the things you like and dislike and the things that matter to you and don't matter to you. And so this is one of the things that you see Jesus doing here is, yeah, they're giving a lot of amounts. Seems it didn't really matter to them, though. Seems that the heart was in the wrong place. So he says they're out of their abundance. They put in these large sums of money. But the heart of this woman is that she had what she had to live on and she gave it before God. It is such a beautiful thing that God wants a heart that overflows in love for God to such a degree that that heart desires to give all you can. That's the message that you see God offering again and again and again is you've seen what I've done for you. And the heart's response is, I want to give whatever I can give. And that doesn't mean merely financially when you read that of Israel or in the New Testament. It's always about of time and of resources and of life and everything that we have. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul mind and then we talked about in Deuteronomy strength as a reference to resources everything that you're empowered to do this is the idea of what God wants us to have I want you to think about is as this ending of these three little paragraphs here is Jesus is going to walk out of the temple complex now what does Jesus leave them with I want a people who want to know me That God wants hearts that want to know God deeply. A people who want to have their nose in the word of God, who want to dig deeper, who desire to understand, who want to know everything that God has revealed and understand the simple and the complex, to understand the, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the prophets and, and their prophecies and the narratives and the gospels. They just want to know God. God wants a people like you hear David saying, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. That's what Jesus is challenging with that quote. Have you thought about the word of God? Is that what matters to you? Number two, God wants hearts that have no interest in personal attention. God wants a people who do not want personal attention. It's not about drawing attention to yourself. Not about look at what I've done. But really a heart that desires for God to receive all the glory, for God to receive all of the attention. And number three, God wants hearts that are motivated by thanksgiving and love. We'll often quote from the scriptures and we'll use it almost in a trite way where we'll say, God loves a cheerful giver. He does. Scripture says that. 
But can I use the words of Jesus and say, have you thought about what that means? Have you thought about what that really looks like? To be the cheerful giver that God wants. He truly wants an overflow of the heart. He doesn't want anything out of compulsion. He doesn't want anything out of requirement. He doesn't want anything that is uh, an obligation. He just wants a people who desire him so deeply. They'll just give him anything to be able to be a follower of his and to serve him faithfully. What a way to leave the leaders of Jerusalem who are so blinded by pride Blinded by dishonesty, blinded by self-promotion, blinded by ego and arrogance, blinded by selfishness. That they don't see who Jesus is. And Jesus, Jesus' final teachings just puts his finger on it and says, have you thought about your heart? Have you thought about a heart for God? that loves him to such a degree that you want to dig deeper, that you don't make it about yourself, and that you give him all that you have. That's what he's calling us to. That's the hope of the gospel, is a heart that is desiring him, that desires to be with him, that desires to give to him, that desires to love and serve him. We'll do all that we can for him. Looking forward to these next few weeks because now the scene in Mark changes dramatically. The teachings of Jesus end. It is time for one condemnation. Chapter 13. And now Jesus going to the cross to save the world, to show the depths of his love for a people that do not care for him, people that reject his teachings and would hang him on a cross. Encourage you to think about where you are with your walk with God, and that you would truly consider your heart. Truly consider where your heart is before God. Is this something that we do out of obligation, or do you have a heart that earnestly desires to serve Him, love Him, obey Him, and give all that you have to Him? We encourage you to have that kind of heart. We want to help you have that kind of heart. If we can help you in any way, if you're ready to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you turn away from your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And then know you are a child of God and walk with Him faithfully. We can help you do that if you'll come now while we stand and while we sing.